introduce to you our brand new series we're kicking off today called the FAQ series. We're doing frequently asked questions, frequently avoided questions, frequently argued questions. We're uh, trying to take on the stuff that that nobody necessarily wants to answer. And so I want to give you uh, three guiding principles that we'll have throughout this series, three ways, uh, th- three standards that we're going to use uh, as we go through these questions. So number one guiding principle is uh, when the God's word, when the Bible speaks clearly, we'll speak, speak clearly. Um, th- there are some questions who've been submitted uh, that there is a, a very clear answer to in God's word. And when God's word is clear, we want to be clear. Um, let, let me say this. This is not about uh, necessarily us. It's not about necessarily me. Uh, it, we believe that God's word is the thing that base our life upon. We believe that God's word is true. We believe that it is inspired, that it's infallible, that it's holy, uh, that it's applicable to our lives. And so we want to point to scripture as much as we possibly can. We're going to point to guidelines in scripture. Uh, but not everything in scripture or not every situation we face in life, there's going to be a, a clear scriptural statement about. So number two, uh, when God's word gives us a principle, we're going to point to the principle. Uh, I'll give you an example about this. Uh, about two and a half years ago, we did a similar series. And one of the questions that was submitted was, is it okay to smoke marijuana? Um, and the Bible does not talk about marijuana. The Bible does not say thou shalt smoke weed or thou shalt not smoke weed. It's not in there. Uh, so in that question, I could not go to number one and say, hey, the Bible speaks absolutely clearly on this. We had to go to number two, to, to the principle. Uh, and the Bible does have a principle of sobriety, that we should be sober-minded, that we should be in control of, of our thoughts. And so uh, my answer in that situation was, man, based on First Peter and based on what God's word says about being sober-minded, uh, this is probably not the best thing for us to do. It's probably wise for us to stay away from this. Uh, and, and so we'll go to God's word for guiding principles uh, when the Bible does not address, directly address something that's popped up in modern society. And, and then number three, sometimes we don't even have that. Sometimes you may ask a question, it's simply a, a question of preference, simply a question of, of something that, that happens these days, and I may not even have a scriptural principle for you. And in that case, we'll give you our opinion. I'll give you my opinion. Uh, but when that happens, I'm going to tell you, this is my opinion. Uh, because I believe as, as fo- followers of Jesus, we are obligated to obey the word of God. You are not obligated to obey me. Uh, so I'm going to give you my advice on the situation. I'm going to tell you, hey, I, as best as I can, this is my wisdom on this. This is how I see this. You don't have to answer to God uh, necessarily for that. But we do have to answer to God for obeying his word. Uh, and so we're going to make sure that we're clear in those instances when this is just an opinion. Uh, so all that being said, if you have questions that pop up either related to what we discussed today or other questions that, that are on your heart, uh, you can feel free to text those in. The phone number for the church phone is 662-404-2489. And I don't think I put that on a slide today. So if you want to write that down or put it in your phone so you have it, it's 662 404 2489. One more time, 662 662- 4042489. If you didn't get that, you can always go to citychurchlb.com, go to the contacts tab, and that number is right there. So it's the church phone. Nobody's phone number is in it. So we're not going to know it was you. We're not going to go back and double check on the number to see who texted this crazy question. You have the, the comfort of anonymity. Um, and at the end of service, Josh is going to be choosing one of the questions that's texted in today and uh, giving me uh, one off the top of my head. Or I'll have to try and, uh, try and answer off the top of my head. So uh, feel free to fire those in as we go throughout the day. And, and 
first service, we had a whole bunch that came in. I uh, wasn't able to get to all of them, obviously. So we're going to bank the rest of those and hopefully be able to get to them during this series later on. So even if we don't get to your question in this service, doesn't mean we will not get to it. Um, so out of the questions that have been submitted so far, there's been a few themes that have already started to emerge. And so what we're going to do is our best through each Sunday, we're going to group questions uh, amongst themes. Uh, in other words, uh, today, our theme is church. We had quite a few questions that, that emerged uh, regarding the idea of church or, or why does this church do this or how does this church do this? So we're going to talk about the big C church, the, the church of Jesus Christ globally, and we're going to talk about the small C city church a little bit today. Um, let me tell you this also, some of you submitted questions regarding the, the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit operate? Uh, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? There were so many of those questions submitted that we're not even getting to any of those today. Two weeks from today, we'll have a week specific to the Holy Spirit. So if you submitted a question about what does the church believe about the Holy Spirit and it's not gotten to today, doesn't mean we ignored you or passed you over. I'd be here in two weeks and we will be addressing those questions on that day. So all that being said, let's dive in. We got five questions for you today on the concept, the topic of church, and we're going to do our best to address these biblically. So first question, uh, is this church affiliated with other churches? Like, does it get sermons from them, etc.? I ask because I've noticed a few of the series have been the same as another church. Uh, I'm going to split this basically into two questions. First of all, who is City Church affiliated with? Um, and then secondly, uh, do we get sermons from other churches? Why do I see some similarity there? Uh, so the first question, who are we affiliated with? We have uh, a number of informal affiliations and just relationships, but we have two former affiliations that, that you should know about. The first is we are affiliated with uh, a fellowship called the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God is a group of about 13,000 churches here in the U.S. and has about 68 million members worldwide. Um, and we, uh, when our church was founded, Pastor Jason Delgado, who started our church, he's actually a third generation uh, grew up in the assemblies. His dad was an assemblies pastor. His grandfather was an assemblies pastor. Um, and so he had a vision to do something a little different. So he talked with the Mississippi district and, and kind of said, look, we, we want to come under your umbrella, have the accountability of the assemblies. In other words, we believe the way that you do. Um, if, if somebody is in our pulpit and begins speaking blasphemy, you guys have the authority to come in and, and yank them out. So, so if I start teaching something that's unbiblical, they have the ability to come in and say, you know what, you're not the pastor there anymore. Um, but we didn't want to fly the assembly's flag. We were, wanted to have a, an interdenominational church. Uh, and man, to, to the amazement of me, how it's worked, we've got people in this church from Catholic backgrounds and Methodist background and Lutheran background and Baptist background and Reformed background and Pentecostal background and Charismatic background and Assemblies background. And, and we've got just a whole crazy melting pot hodgepodge in City Church, which I think is pretty awesome because that's what heaven's going to be like. Uh, there's not going to be Baptist heaven and Pentecostal heaven and, and Reform heaven. There, there's not going to be uh, the Assemblies of God service with Jesus from 9 to 10 and then Baptists have Jesus from 10 to 11, right? Like we're all going to worship together. Um, and so I think it's pretty cool that, that we have a, a body of believers who come from a lot of different church backgrounds and that we've chosen to, to come together to worship together. So we do have what we call a loose affiliation with the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies, um, we're, we're networked with them in a number of ways. One is financially. Uh, when the church was started, the Assemblies was very generous to, to give us a loan to help start the church. And uh, through the history of the church, there have been some rough times and, and there were some seasons where we weren't able to pay on that and the Assemblies has 
been super gracious to us. Um, proud to say that over the last three years, we've been faithfully making payments, and that loan is shrinking, and we're not going to owe money to the assemblies for the rest of our lives because uh, the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, but uh, thankfully, they've been super, super cool to us in that way. Um, another way that we're affiliated with them, like I said, is accountability. Um, another way that we're affiliated with them is through training. Uh, they offer a school of ministry in Jackson, Mississippi to certify, uh, license, and ordain ministers. And I've been a part of that school of ministry. Matt Dunn's been a part of that school of ministry. We've had some others who, who've been a part as well uh, through the history of our church. So, so they provide uh, a number of things to us. That they provide just uh, emotional support and uh, they're, they're very, very good to us, and they're also very cool about allowing us to do something that, that's different. What we tell people, and what I believe best defines in, in a soundbite our relationship with the AG is this, is we believe the same way that the assemblies do. We, we have the same theology. We don't run our church the way that the assemblies normally runs their church. Our bylaws are different than assemblies' bylaws. Our uh, leadership structure is different than an assemblies' leadership structure. Our service flow, all that kind of stuff is different. So we, we believe the same way. We just have a different way of doing church. Um, and so that's kind of the best picture I can give you of our relationship uh, to the assemblies. Uh, our other former affiliation, or formal, excuse me, not former, formal affiliation is with a group called ARC. ARC is the Association of Related Churches. They are a church planting organization. We were not actually uh, planted through ARC when Pastor Jason started. He didn't know there was an ARC. He says he desperately wishes he had known because uh, he would have definitely came through their training and, and through their program. Um, amazing organization. We believe in them very, very strongly. Uh, in fact, we give, um, we are a tithing church, just as we teach you guys to give your first 10%, we give our first 10%. Um, and out of that first 10%, uh, we designate 20% of that 10%, so 2% total, if you can wrap your brain around that, uh, to, to ARC to help plant new churches. So we give, right now, we give $300 a month to ARC. Uh, so we send out $300 every month to, to start a new church, to, to bless a new community, to, to help plant life. We love this organization, uh, believe in them phenomenally. They are um, unlike anything that I've ever seen before, just in uh, their, their structure. They, their statement is, we plant life, and, and I believe it wholeheartedly. They are all about life-giving churches. And so there are a number of churches in ARC that do things kind of differently, uh, when I was training for ministry, I worked at a church called Church on the Move in Oklahoma, and I love Church on the Move, and I'm so grateful that I got to spend four years out there. It's where I met my wife, and, and many other important things in my life happened there. Um, but one of the things we did at Church on the Move, which is totally normal at this point in time, uh, is we sold material to other churches. It was a large church, a church that had gained a lot of influence, and so we generated curriculum and, and other things that we did in-house. We made it available to other places to purchase, um, and it was one of the ways that we funded some of our ministries. Um, and then ARC comes around, and the second church that was planted through ARC is a church called Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. And their pastor, Chris Hodges, got kind of a radical idea. Uh, he said, God, if you'll give us the influence that other people want the stuff that we do, we're just going to give it all away. We're not going to charge for anything. Uh, and so their graphics, their videos, their materials, they have it all available online for churches. You can sign up, and you can access it and download it and, and use it any way that you see fit. And what Pastor Chris didn't realize when he started doing that is he was going to start a movement. 
Uh, and so today, uh, Church on the Move included, um, there, there are a ton of incredible churches across America and probably across the world that make their resources available to other churches, smaller churches. Uh, we could not afford to hire somebody to make uh, some of the videos that we use here. We couldn't afford to produce that stuff in-house. Uh, but we have churches who make those videos available to us for free. Uh, so we do use... Um, Many times the same series title as a ch another church has done because they've already got that stuff pre-made. We don't have to edit it. We don't have to, to do anything to it. It's ready for us to go. So, for instance, the last series we did, the Death to Selfie series, that was a series originally done by a church in Charlotte, North Carolina called Elevation Church. Elevation is probably my favorite church. Uh, their pastor's name is Stephen Furtick, um, and if you can... Handle the fact that your pastor might have a man crush. I might have a man crush on Stephen Furtick. Um, the, I, I love so much of what that church does. I love their heart. I, I love the way that they reach people. Um, I, I love a lot of the, the things. That, he's nine months older than me, and so I always feel like I'm a failure at life because of what they're doing. Uh, and I'm like, wow, he's only he's so close in age, but uh, very close to where my family lives. Um, there's just a lot of, lot of things there that, that have drawn me and attracted me to what they do. And so the Deaths of Selfie series, it was actually, I heard it originally 18 months ago. Um, I was uh, painting my, the room for our future child. We were putting together a bedroom for, for our future child. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl yet. Um, and we had picked out the name Judah if it was going to be a boy. And so I was in the room painting and praying over the kid who was one day going to be in this room. Um, and I was listening to a podcast from Elevation, and it was a Death to Selfie podcast. And in one of these podcasts, as I was painting the room, it was actually uh, the part five, the Call It What You Want It, the one that uh, Jimmy preached while I was out having our second child. Uh, and uh, in that message, it talks a lot about Jacob's son, Judah, uh, and how Judah was the one that, that God had used to bring restoration, how they had blown it so badly. But Judah was the one who protected Benjamin, who said, you know what, I'll go in Benjamin's place. He was the, the Christ figure in the story. And we'd already picked this name out. And so obviously I was tuned into that and I was just praying, you know, God, let my son be like that. Let him be restorative. God, let, let him live up to his name. Judah means praise. And, and so it was very significant for me. And so well, I'll tell you this, if we grab a series from somebody else, we don't grab it because we think it's cool. We don't grab it because we think, um, man, it, it sounds good. We grab it because it's first moved us. Uh, when, when Jimmy was preparing that message, I, I said, man, if this doesn't move you, it's not going to move anybody else. You, you've got to be affected. It's got to get in you before it can come out of you. And so there are times where we'll do a series and, and we'll use pretty similar to their sermons, pretty similar to, to the material that they use. Um, obviously, we're always going to make it our own. We're always going to tweak some things and, and use our own illustrations and, and maybe go different directions with it. Um, but Death to Selfie, out of, we did seven messages in Death to Selfie. Out of those seven, four of them were pretty close to the ones that Elevation did. One of them was about 50-50, um, and then two of them were totally unrelated to Elevation at all, but just the things that we felt like, hey, we want to teach on. Uh, another example, cow tipping. If you guys were here when we launched our second series, we did a cow tipping series, right? Uh, cow tipping was a graphic and, and a concept that we also got from Elevation. They did this like six years ago, um, and that was literally all we used was the graphic and the name. We went totally different direction, didn't preach any of the same topics, didn't use any of the same scriptures. It was totally disconnected other than the fact that, hey, they made it available for us to use this graphic and, and had a cool name and something that we thought would, would apply and, and grab people's attention. So that's kind of a spectrum uh, as, as we use other materials. We don't always use other people's stuff. We've, uh, we probably do about 50-50 where we'll generate a concept and, and an idea in-house. This series, for instance, um, we started talking about a month and a half, two months ago 
uh, amongst our staff, hey, we want to do a question and answer series. Uh, what should we call it? And Samantha Doyle actually suggested FAQ is the name. Um, and what I was able to do is one of the other art churches, a place called Life Church Oklahoma City, they actually had done a series called FAQ. So we borrowed their graphic, and that's it. That's what we got from them is instead of having to develop our own graphic or do something, we were able to, to download that for free because of the, the radical generosity of these churches um, and, and put that uh, into our context. So hopefully that answers a little bit about that, kind of how, how we get those and, and how we access other sermon titles and, and graphics and series ideas. Uh, next question, why are there denominations? If Jesus died for all people, why is there division? Um, this is one where I have to give you my opinion. I, I can't point to scripture. There weren't denominations in scripture. Um, I, I can't point even so much to scriptural principle here. What I can do is speak a little bit from my knowledge of church history. Um, denominations sprout up a lot of different ways, but there's probably three major ways that denominations have started if, if you study church history. One is God does something in a group of people within a church, within a, a particular organization, and that group of people gets really fired up about God and really excited about what God's doing and, and really starts to clean up their lives and really starts to serve him wholeheartedly. And in the process, everybody else gets uncomfortable, and they kind of nudge them out of the organization and kind of tell them you're, you're not welcome anymore. I'll give you an example of this. There's a bunch of them, but one obvious example is Martin Luther, 1500s. Uh, he's a Catholic priest, and God begins to show him some ways that the Catholic Church was not living up to the Word of God. Uh, and so Martin never felt like, hey, I'm going to start a Reformation. He never, I'm going to start a new denomination. We're going to break off from the Catholic Church. He, he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He wanted to line up to the Word of God. But in the process, he ran into a lot of persecution. A lot of people didn't like what he was doing, and he was actually eventually excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Um, and a lot of people got really fired up about God because of Martin Luther's example. And, and they wanted to follow him, and they ended up founding a denomination, and you probably know of it as the Lutheran denomination. Uh, we've seen that happen time and time again, really in the last 500 years especially, where th there was a, a radical move of God. There was a revival amongst a certain group, and it made everybody else uncomfortable, and they kind of had to go start something else. Uh, another way that denominations start is through what I would call petty disagreements. Uh, a, a lot of denominations are started because this group over here sees this one verse or this one doctrine this way, and this verse over here sees it another way, and they get so frustrated as they argue and debate, and you won't listen to me, and I won't listen to you, and we're just going to have to worship separately. And, and this is the one that I think breaks God's heart. Uh, because, don't get me wrong, there are some essential beliefs. We, we teach here at City Church, we've got four essential beliefs that, that if you don't believe these things, you're not going to be happy at City Church. This isn't a good church for you. One of them is the Bible's the Word of God. If you, if you don't believe the Bible's the Word of God, you can come to church here, but you're probably going to hate me because I'm going to tell you week after week that the Bible's the Word of God because we believe that the Bible's the Word of God because uh, it is. By the way, we're right. Um, but So, so there's, there's four things that we believe are essentials for Christians, that's one of them. Number two, uh, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. Uh, number three, we believe that we have to let Jesus be Lord of our life. Uh, number four, we believe that the Holy Spirit lives in those who call on Jesus as their Savior, and he leads us and guides us. And th those are our essentials. Uh, that, Man, if you don't believe those things, again, you're welcome to be here. You're probably not going to like us very much. Uh, you probably want to find somewhere else to be. Um, Outside of those things, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of non-essential beliefs. There's a lot of stuff that Christians like to argue about. And, and I'm not even saying that it's not important for us to find out the truth and to dig into it and to get to the bottom of it. Uh, but I think we can reasonably 
disagree. I've told people in this church many times when they've come to me because somebody disagrees with me about this topic or, or that topic. And I say, look, you know, here's how I see it. This is why I see it this way. You're free to see it differently. If you uh, feel like you need to go find a, a church that believes the same way that you do, let's, we'd love to help you find a place. But I believe we're going to worship together in heaven. So why can't we worship together now? Uh, why can't we reasonably agree to disagree on this topic? And most of the time, we're able to reasonably disagree. Every once in a while, somebody says, you know what? I really need to find some place that, that believes this way. And, and, man, we'll help you do that if you come to that place. Um, but we don't expect you to agree with everything that we say. Um, number one, I don't agree with myself all the time. So how can I expect you to agree with me all the time? Uh, you know, it's just the way that it is. I, I, sometimes I'll hear something I said three months ago and be like, man, what was I thinking? Um, and you've, you're the same way. You don't agree with yourself all the time either. Uh, so we don't have to always agree. We have to always be respectful. Uh, we have to always honor one another through those disagreements. So why, why are there denominations? Number one, like I said, because of revivals and it makes comfortable Christians, uncomfortable. Number two, because of petty disagreements that, that I don't think need to happen. Um, and then number three, sometimes a, a denomination rises up because there's somebody who's kind of just out doing their own thing. Um, and as that thing grows and as God breathes on it, as they pursue God, they start sending out missionaries. They start planting churches and, and a whole network kind of rises up out of that where they want to follow the, the, the lead church. And that actually turns into a denomination over time. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think the fact that there's denominations is, is a terrible thing. I think sometimes there's denominations are a sign of, of d- disunity and rebellion, and, and I think in those cases, it's not necessarily a good thing. This, here's how serious Jesus is about unity. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays specifically for his disciples, and then he transitions into to praying for others. And listen to what he says in, in John 17, 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. So not just for the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Stop right there for a second. 2000 years ago, the week that he's about to go to the cross and die, Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior prayed for you. He said, I pray for those who will believe my message. He was praying for you. He was praying for me. Did you ever realize that? Did you ever think about that? That 2,000 years ago, the Savior of the world was praying for you? I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's pretty cool. Like that, That's very encouraging to me. By the way, he's still praying for us. Right now, he's at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. That, that's what he does. He loves to pray for us. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Of all the things Jesus could pray. He didn't pray that all those who believe my message will be holy, although we know holiness is important. He didn't pray that all those who hear my message will be evangelists, although we know that sharing our faith is important. What did he pray? He said, let them be one. At City Church, we we make this statement that we don't gossip here. We have a no gossip policy. There's very, very few things that we have zero tolerance for here. Gossip's one of them. Because gossip is so destructive. And it's so sad to me that, that churches, especially in the South, one of the stereotypes of, of churches is they love to talk junk about each other. It's a sad thing. It's a heartbreaking thing. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, is praying we'd be one. In other words, when, when I open my mouth and I slander with somebody else, when I gossip about another one of God's children, you know what I'm doing? I'm dishonoring the prayer of Christ. I'm going against what he went to God the Father for 2,000 years ago. That's a scary thing. 
That's something we need to take very, very seriously. That's why we have no tolerance for it here. Because it, it destroys people. It destroys lives. And, and so many people have, have just left church completely because, man, they had an experience where so-and-so just ran their mouth about them. we got to be really careful about this. And we got to pursue unity. Now, now, I think that our church is pretty good about this. If you put us, uh, you know, compared to, to some other places, we, this is one thing we do better than others. There's a lot of things we do worse. This is one thing we do better. Um, but, but that doesn't mean we got to master it. Doesn't mean we need to get cocky or arrogant about it. We got to continue to protect each other, to continue to pursue the unity that God's designed us for. He says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus says that unity is important because it's a reflection of, of God. God is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's three individuals, but they're one. How can they live in perfect unity? Because they have each other's back. They, they honor each other. They look for the, to, to bless each other. Now, obviously, we can never be at, at that level because we're human and we're flawed and they're not. But he says, I want you guys to be a reflection of the unity of the Trinity. That's how important oneness is to Jesus. Then he goes on, verse 22, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are, I and them and you and me. Why? So that they may be brought to complete unity. What happens when we get to complete unity? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You care about the loss? Then you better care about unity. You care about your family members that don't know Jesus? Then you better care about unity in the church because Jesus says the point where we really begin to make an impact out there, the point where we really begin to turn people's lives around, the point where we really begin to see lost people come to Jesus is the point where the church gets in complete unity. It's important. It's very important. And so, so we believe that we're part of a bigger team. We, we are not, you've probably heard me say a million times if you've been at City Church for very long, we're not the only church in DeSoto County. We're not. There's a ton of great churches out here, and we are part of a, a bigger thing, part of a bigger movement. We're proud that we get to play a part of it. We're proud that God allows us to, to be on that team. Um, but, but we want to be unified with the other churches in the community. We're not in competition with them. Our competition is not other churches. Our competition is the enemy who's keeping people out of church. It's the enemy who's got people going to hell. That's the competition. That's who we need to defeat. That's where we need to take the battle. Um, and, and so it's not other denominations. It's not people who believe that this one doctrine or that one doctrine. That's not the competition. We need to pursue unity. Amen? Amen. Question three. Uh, how do you deal with a family member who judges you for the way you worship and tells you you're doing it all wrong? This one actually came into me through an email. Uh, and in the email, this individual explained some ways that they were having this issue with this family member. They said that uh, the, the family member actually had three issues with our church, that we have a band and, and have worship songs and rather than singing hymns all the time, um, that we uh, wear jeans on Easter, uh, and that uh, being dunked uh, in, uh, rather than being um, sprinkled for baptism. Um, this is a, a tough question. The reason why I, I wanted to bring it in, even though it was through an email, is I think there's other people here who have some challenges like this where your family members may disagree with the way that we worship or, or with the things that are going on in your life. So, so let me say this. The Bible doesn't speak to this either. I, I can't give you chapter and verse here. I'm just going to share with you my, my best opinion. Um, number one, continue to love that family member. Um, love them, love them, love them. Uh, I mean, when, when that person is, is pushing you away, keep loving them. When, when that pers person is putting you down, 
the flesh, our, our na- human nature, we want to respond and put them down too. And I don't, I'm not saying this person does, but I know I do. Uh, and, you know, here's the reason why your church is wrong. And you guys don't get it right. And, you know, and, 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 and like, that's just my human nature, right? Um, and, and that's not fruitful at all. It's not productive at all. It's not going to help the situation at all. Um, the, the best thing we can do is respond to them with love. Um, and I, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I'm sorry we don't see eye to eye on this. But I, but I still believe in you. Um, don't say you're praying for him if you're not praying for him, by the way. Uh, but, but if you are, and you should be. Uh, and, and honestly, the best thing you can do is just pray that God softens their heart. Just, just God, help them to see the impact that this church has made in my life. Help them to see the impact that it's making in my kids. Help them to see that the bigger picture, that, that it's not about the traditions of man and, and the way that we dress or, or the style of the worship. Um, but, but help them to see that there's, it's about Jesus. Um, and if you'll pray that, man, a lot of times those prayers don't get answered overnight. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like next week they're going to be here worshiping right alongside you because that would be awesome, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, but if you'll continue to love them, continue to pursue them, continue to pray for them, I, I do believe that their heart can soften. Um, and, and nothing softens a heart like a changed life. Over time, as they see the fruit, as they see the evidence, as they see what God's really doing in your life, they're going to have a very hard time denying it. But let me say this. If they're not a Christian, um, I'd probably keep inviting them. I'd keep going after them. If you feel like, hey, they're not, they're not really a Christian, I don't see evidence of salvation in their life, I, I'd, I'd keep going after them. If they are a Christian and you're confident in that, man, they're right with God, they just worship differently, then I'd probably not keep inviting them. I'd probably just let that go. I'd probably just release that and say, you know what, I just want you to know you've got an open door to come worship with us anytime you want. We'd love to have you here, but I'm not going to tell you about all the stuff that we got going on because I know that it bothers you, and I don't want to drive division between us. So I'm just going to let that go. And that's the best advice that I can give in that situation. Just um, don't, don't let this person get you down. Don't let it discourage you. Jesus said if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Um, and there's always going to be people that don't like something about the way that we do something. Um, and, and if we try to please everybody, we're just going to drive ourselves crazy. So, so don't get caught up in that. Just keep praying for them, keep loving them, uh, and trust that God's going to work on their heart. Number four, why should I raise my hands during worship? Somebody who maybe has, has seen others raise their hands during worship or maybe heard one of the worship leaders at, at certain points, they may say, come on, let's just stretch our hands to heaven. Um, and it's a good question. Why should I do that? Uh, well, what is the point in, in raising our hands? Well, I, w- I want to give you two answers to that question. Uh, number one is, is it's biblical. Uh, and, and I want to show you in Scripture that it is. Uh, Psalm 134 is a three-verse chapter. If you ever have an, a bad day and you're like, I haven't read a chapter of the Bible for a long time, you can start with Psalm 134 and feel better about yourself uh, and then keep moving, kicking closer to God, digging deeper into the Word. But Psalm 30, 134, I'll read you the whole chapter. It says this. It says, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. So who? that's us, right? Look at somebody next to you say, that's me. Look at the second choice, say, that's you, Right? Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. And then it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is maker of heaven and earth. It says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Now, at this point in time, this was written in an era when there was a place called the tabernacle. And that was where the presence of God dwelt. And the tabernacle had a sanctuary. This is obviously Old Testament. Um, In the New Testament, we don't believe that, that God's presence lives in a room. 
We don't call this room our sanctuary. I know a lot of churches do, and I'm not bashing those who do, but we intentionally do not. We call this our, our worship center or our auditorium. Why? Be, because God doesn't live in here. God lives in here. You're the sanctuary. And, and that means that not only do you honor God when you come into this room, but you're honoring God when you're wherever you happen to be on Friday night, wherever you happen to be on Monday morning, and, and, and everywhere in between, because you're in, always in God's presence. So, so we don't call it our sanctuary. But the principle, I think, applies. The principle of the sanctuary is this was the place where they came to worship God. And when they came to worship God, he said, man, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. This is an ordained act of worship. And there's other places in scripture I could show you if we had time that that ordained raising of hands during worship. But I want to show you it doesn't just apply to worship. I think this is an, an undertaught and underunderstood part of raising hands. Um, even for me, I didn't really understand this for, for a long time. But Lamentations 2.19 says this. It says, Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. What's going on in this passage? Well, the author is talking about interceding for your kids, praying for your kids. And there was a very specific situation they were praying for, but I think the general principle extends to you praying for your kids, praying for the people you care about, praying for the people in your life. And he says, lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children, as you're praying for somebody you care about, as you're praying for the lost, as you're praying protection over your family, he ordains for us to lift up our hands to him. Now, both of these passages I just read you are Old Testament. Uh, so let me show you in the New Testament uh, that man, raising up a hands did not get disqualified or, or canceled out. First Timothy 2.8, our last verse about raising hands. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. He, he doesn't say every, or he doesn't say I want the men in, in certain denominations to raise their hands. He didn't say I want the men uh, in, in certain races who are more expressive than others. They can raise their hands. He says everywhere, everybody. This is a, this is a, a principle, and I don't think it applies just to men. He, he's writing to Timothy who, who's discipling men, but I think this applies across the board. That we need to be raising our hands in prayer. So it's a New Testament principle to raise our hands. It's an Old Testament principle to raise our hands. Well, why? What's the point? Well, let me just say this. If you ever, hopefully, when you worship here at City Church, you, your eyes are closed or you're looking at the screens and your heart's in heaven, but, man, let's just be honest, sometimes our eyes wander, right? Sometimes we see other people worshiping. So if you've ever, like your eyes have ever wandered and you've seen your pastor while he's worshiping, you've probably seen me with my hands raised. I probably spend the majority of our worship time with my hands up. Why do I raise my hands? Number one, I raise my hands because it's uncomfortable. Um, it's uncomfortable, number one, just because it, it's not natural, right? Like our default. How, how are your arms naturally? Your arms are down. Raising my arms, it's, it's unnatural. It's not normal. It's not easy. So it, put, it, it crucifies my flesh. It pushes me out of what's comfortable, out of what's natural, and, and it forces me to be uncomfortable for a minute in God's presence. It's not only uncomfortable physically, it's uncomfortably, uncomfortable emotionally because, well, I wonder what, who else is thinking? Who else has noticed that I raised my hands? What are they thinking about me? Right? Like all those thoughts come in your head. Now, I've been raising my hands for long enough now that I don't really think all that stuff as much as I used to. Uh, now I, I can just enter in. Uh, but man, when you first start raising your hands, you're probably going to, you know, the enemy's going to come and tell you you're a hypocrite because, well, you weren't raising your hands last night. Uh, and, and, and right? Like all this stuff is going to come. Um, and, and here's the thing. I don't raise my hands because I'm good. I raise my hands because he's good. 
I'm not worshiping me. I'm not saying, look at how good I am. I'm the best worshiper in city church. I'm worshiping the one who sits on the throne who died for my sins. So when the enemy comes and points at whatever reason why you're not good enough to worship, tell him he's right. I'm not, but I'm not worshiping me. I'm worshiping the one who's worthy of it. That's all, that's all you got to do. Um, so it's uncomfortable. Uh, number two, you, you've probably heard these illustrations, and I think they're so true and, and so potent, but, uh, you know, raising hands is the international sign of surrender, right? So, so when I'm raising my hands, when I'm lifting my hands to heaven, you know, if, if you walk out of here, God forbid, and you get jumped when you get to Chili's or wherever you go for lunch today, and there's a gun in your back, and the guy says, Put, you know, give me all your money, you're going to stick up your hands to say, I surrender. Take whatever you want, right? It's all yours. What are you doing when you lift your hands in worship? I surrender. Take whatever you want. It's all yours. I'm not holding anything back from you. I'm not holding anything for myself. I'm giving you all that I am and all that I have. And the habit of surrender, and not just when you come to church, by the way, uh, man, the habit of worshiping and surrendering on a daily basis and making that statement again is so beneficial and so cleansing and it resets our spirit and allows us to, to put him back on the throne because it's so easy for us to forget that's where he is. Um, Another illustration that I heard, I heard this a few years ago, but I, I thought it was so impactful. It was before I had kids, um, but it was a father talking. He said, you know, sometimes my, my son, was like three years old, I think, at the time. Sometimes my son will run across the living room, and he'll run out to me, Daddy, with his hands up. He says, every time my son runs to me with his hands up, you know what I do? I pick him up. He said, man, when you raise your hands to Father, you're just saying, Daddy, pick me up. You're blocking out everything else, and you're getting a moment of intimacy with Daddy. It's a moment where, where it's just you and him, a moment where, where he's able to wrap his arms around you and step into your situation, step into what you're going through. So I know for some people, you didn't grow up raising your hands in church, and it's, it's weird that you even go to a church where people raise your hands, and you're like, hey, I'm doing good that I'm even here when somebody else does it. Um, I'm going to challenge you over the next month. Step out. And maybe you, for you, it's not just a church to start out with. Maybe it's better to do it by yourself one-on-one. It's uncomfortable. It's not going to feel it. You're not going to do it and be like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Uh, you're probably going to do it and be like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is not cool. Um, but, but remember, it's biblical. God's ordained this. He's asked for it. And if God's asked for it, I want to give it to him. Uh, there, there, there's ways that I don't measure up. Don't get me wrong, but I want to give him what he asked for. And this is one very simple way. It's a little bit uncomfortable, right? Like Jesus hung on the cross with his arms spread out as he died. Um, I can hold my hands up for, through a five minute worship song. Uh, like we're, we're capable of doing that and watch what happens in your heart as you do that. Watch as, as, as the Holy Spirit begins to, to speak to you in new ways. I've said it many times here, but man, I hear from God more during worship than anything else. Uh, God speaks to me just more clearly, and, and I'm, it's not that he speaks more clearly, it's that I'm more tuned in because I'm surrendering, because I'm taking myself off the throne, because I'm listening. Um, so I, I highly, highly recommend that you try that this month, both in worship and, and in prayer. Uh, and that may, even for those who raise your hands in worship, that might be different for you, because you may have never heard it taught on that, that we need to raise our hands in prayer, but, but we do. God's ordained it in prayer as well, and as we intercede for others, as we pray for others, um, I believe it's going to increase the intensity, the, the effectiveness of our prayers. Last question for you guys today. Very appropriate question for us to answer on this particular Sunday. Why does this church baptize? 
by dunking. It's funny to me that people use this word dunking. We, we would use the word immersion, uh, but I get it because you're going under and you're coming back up. So, so why do we do it this way? Other people uh, baptized by sprinkling water or, or even by christening kids or uh, maybe by pouring some water over somebody's head. Why, why do we do all in? Why, why do we believe in this? A um, couple of reasons. Number one, best understanding in my study of scripture, this is how they did it in the Bible. Uh, and I want to show you clearly why, why I believe that. Starting in Matthew chapter 3, this is the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 says this. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, the worship team is going to come down. I'll get distracted by them. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. How do you, how do you come up out of the water? Because you were down in the water, right? Like you, can, you don't come up out of the water if there's just a little water poured on your forehead. He came up out of it because he was already down in it. So at that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Side note, this is the one spot in Scripture where we see all three members of the Trinity present. We, we see Jesus being baptized, we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and we see the Father speaking about his son, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but Jesus, why, why do we get baptized? Number one reason to get baptized is because Jesus did it. Uh, Jesus did not have sins to wash away, right? Uh, my wife and I, we bought a series of books for our son, Christian books, and they tell different stories. And uh, one of them is the baptism of Jesus. And so a few months ago, I was reading this story about the baptism of Jesus with Judah. And, and we get to the spot and it says, and Jesus uh, was baptized to wash away his sins. And I was like, what? Uh, no, he was not. We threw that book away, rebuked it, <laughs> apologized to my son for teaching him blasphemy. Um, Jesus didn't have sins to wash away. He didn't get baptized to wash away his sins. He got baptized to, to give us an example to follow. Right? And so if Jesus did it and he didn't need to, to me that says pretty loudly that we do. Uh, so, so that was one of the reasons, probably one of the main reasons for us to get baptized. But we saw him come up out of the water. Acts chapter 8, verse 38 says he gave orders. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Philip didn't get out and get a cup of water and, and dip it over his head. They went down into the water and came back up. Why is that important? Well, I think there's an importance in the symbolism here. Uh, baptism is all about making a statement about death and resurrection. Just as Jesus was buried and rose again, we go down into the water as symbolic of our old life that's, now, that's dead and uh, that we've risen to life, new life with Christ. So physically it makes sense. It just, it's, it's a model, a picture uh, of the declaration that we're making. That's, that's the whole point of baptism. Secondly, it's just, it's all in. Right? Like baptism saying, I'm not holding anything back because we talked about surrender. Baptism, I'll get my whole body wet. I'll just go all the way. I'll go all in. One of the ways that we can understand Greek words, uh, which is what the New Testament was written in, and the context of these words is by studying other words, other documents, other literary works at the same time in history. Uh, because ancient Greek is not the same as modern Greek. And so the word used in Greek for baptism is baptizo. Everybody say baptizo. 
we've got other examples in ancient Greek of the word baptizo being used. One of them is an account of a shipwreck. And it's talking about the pieces of the shipwreck were baptizoed. In other words, the shipwrecked and the wreckage descended to the bottom of the sea and they settled there. They were baptizoed. They were immersed. Now, we're not going to like hold you at the bottom of the baptism tank. Uh, that's not what we do. Uh, but, but the picture is the same. They were completely immersed. The other usage in ancient Greek of the word baptizo was with one of the first methods ever developed for making pickles. Uh, and it talks about that the pickles were baptizoed in the vinegar. So the next time you get a jar of pickles uh, and you see the pickles floating in the, in the pickle juice, you know you can eat that pickle safely. It's been baptized. You're safe. Uh, but that, that's the, the picture of baptizo is a picture of immersion. Now let me say this. If you were sprinkled, I don't think this means you need to go out and get immersed. The, the importance of baptism is not the way that it's done. The importance of baptism is the heart. We do it this way because we think this is the closest way to what it was done in Scripture. And we want to be as close to, to Scripture as possible. Uh, but if you were done, baptized in another church in a, in a different format, I don't think that means, well, now you got to get baptized in city church because you've never been immersed. It doesn't mean that at all. What's important is, was your heart right before God? When you got baptized. First time I got baptized, I was 12 years old. My parents signed me up, and it was Super Bowl Sunday. And I missed the Cowboys beating the Bills because I was at church getting baptized, and I was bitter about it. It's sad, I know. It's terrible. My pri- So obviously my priorities were not right because I cared more about the Super Bowl than I did about getting baptized. So I got baptized again when I was 16 years old because I wanted to do it because I believed in it. I wanted to do it because I wanted to declare to God, I'm doing this to honor you. I'm doing this to celebrate what you've done in my life. Um, You may decide that there was a point in time where you got baptized and you didn't do it for the right reasons. And God may speak to you and say, you know what, I want you to get baptized again. Don't do it because you got baptized by a different form. Unless God just says, hey, I want you to do this. I think it's going to be good for you. Then go for it. But, but if you realize, you know, we, do, we do what we call believer's baptism. In other words, we don't baptize babies. Five weeks from now, Mother's Day Sunday, we're going to uh, dedicate some babies. And I love baby dedication. It's one of the coolest things. We're going to dedicate our daughter. We're not going to baptize her, though, because one day she's going to have to make that decision for herself. She's going to have to decide to follow Jesus for herself. The, the dedication isn't really about Alexa so much as it is about me and Melody. Is that we're declaring, God, we're dedicating our parenting to you. We're giving our child back to you. You've blessed her, us with her. Now, now we offer her back to you for whatever your purpose is, for whatever you want to do in her life. And so if you've never been baptized on, of your own decision, if you've never been baptized of your own belief, I highly encourage you to do it. It's the first thing that Jesus commands us to do as followers of him. Um, I can't tell you it's going to be this amazing experience and you're going to get goosebumps and it's going to change your life. But I can tell you this, it's going to honor God. And that's probably the most important thing. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do in just a minute, we're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to release those who have signed up to get baptized today to go change clothes. And if you're here today and you didn't get you've never been baptized or God spoke to you and said, hey, you need to get baptized today, I want you to know we're prepared for you. We, we have clothes. We have items ready for you. And, and if you want to take that step with these six and you say, you know what, I need to get baptized today, we would love for you to take that step. So, David, would you raise your hand? Everybody turn and look real quick. This is David. If you want to get baptized after we pray, 
go see David. He's going to take you to the back and show you where we got the clothes. He's not going to stay back there while you change. Uh, but, but he's going to help you to find a change of clothes so that you can take that step, so that you can honor God, so that you can be baptized today. Uh, one of the greatest joys in my life is spontaneous baptisms. I, I love it when somebody didn't know they came to church to get baptized and God said, you're getting baptized anyway. It's one of the coolest things. And so you may decide to do that. You may not. Uh, but I want you to, just to, to, to begin to ask God that. We're going to close in prayer and here in just a second, and, and I want to pray. And I want to pray related to these questions. I want to pray that, that God would use and bring peace to those who feel persecution from family members about the way that we worship. I want to pray that God would bless uh, Ark and the assemblies, that, that God would grow the, their influence and the, the church as a whole, other denominations, other movements, that God would use those, that there would be unity, first of all, in city church and then through, throughout this area, throughout this region, that churches would be unified in glory to God. I want to pray that we take some steps in lifting up our hands in worship lifting up our hands in prayer, that we would get uncomfortable for the God who hung there on a cross for us. And I want to pray that if it's your day to get baptized, that you'll have the courage to do it. That, man, all the excuses the enemy tries to bring to you, that you'll just shoot those down and say, you know what, I'm ready to take this step today. So would you join me in prayer? Father God, we just come before you right now. God, we lift you up. We thank you that you are good. We thank you, God, that, that you've given us this opportunity to answer these questions about church today. And so, God, we just speak to these questions. God, I pray that, that you would bring unity in City Church. God, that the, the prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago, that we would be an answer to that prayer. God, as messed up and as flawed as we are, that we would be unified, that we would be one as you are, both here in this local body and, and in this area, God, in this region, in this nation, in this world, that we would be one. God, we thank you for Ark and the churches that you are planting, the way that you're advancing your gospel through this ministry. God, we pray that you just grow that ministry, God, that you bless it, Lord, that you use them to reach many, many thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions for your kingdom. God, we thank you for the assemblies of God, for their generosity towards us, for their, their, their training for us, the way that they've been good to us. God, we pray that you bless and you grow their ministry, their influence, God, throughout the globe. Lord, I thank you for our missionaries who we support, God, in the Philippines, in Chile, God, for missionaries in, in Detroit, God, for missionaries that, in Africa that we support. Lord, we lift them up to you right now, God. We ask that you advance their cause, that you bring them provision, Lord, that you use them for your glory. We thank you so much for them. God, we, we thank you for the opportunity to lift up hands, even when it's uncomfortable. And I just pray right now, God, for everybody in this room, that they would take a step this week and, and do what's uncomfortable. Lord, if it's easy for them to raise their hands in worship at church, I pray that they would raise their hands in worship at home as well, that they would worship you and glorify you and set aside time for that. If, if they're already doing that, God, I pray that they would raise their hands in prayer to you. God, if they've never done this at all and it's uncomfortable and it's weird, God, I pray that you give them the courage and the strength and the boldness to step out and to honor you in this way and see how you'll begin to change their worship, begin to change their prayer life as they lift their hands to you. God, we thank you for it. God, I just thank you right now for the six who are getting baptized today who've already signed up. Lord, for others who maybe you've spoken to, I pray that you speak to them clearly, that you give them courage. God, that this would be a day that they can look back on and celebrate what you did in their life on that day. And we worship you. We praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise this morning. Before we move on, we have one more question that's uh, come in. Actually, quite a few questions, but Josh has surfed through them, and I think he's picked one out for me. So what do we got? All right, I'm going to have to summarize a little bit on this one. But okay. basically, this person 
uh, says that they have invited their church, or not their church, they invited their family to church. They've come, and as much as this person loves our church, their family didn't, and uh, their family isn't saved. So they not only don't want to come here, they don't want to go anywhere else. Wow. This person says, what do I do? Um, number one, uh, we don't need everybody to like City Church. We know this isn't the church for everybody, and, and that's okay. Um, I do believe there's a church for your family. And, and so there's one of two possibilities here. One possibility is this really is just the wrong fit for your family, and, and we need to pray that they find the right fit. Uh, the other possibility is they don't like it because they were under conviction. Uh, and when they were here, they, they felt the pull of the Holy Spirit saying, your life's not where it needs to be, and, and we need to get you to a new place. And, and many times people push back, and I'm not, I don't know which one it is. Um, but, but I know sometimes when, when an unsaved person doesn't like something that God is doing, a lot of times it's because he's pulling on them. He's drawing them, and, and they're just resisting that. Uh, so, so what do you do? Um, number one, it's an awesome question, and, and thank you for, for inviting and reaching out to your family. I don't think that everybody is going to come to Jesus in a church building. Uh, I, I think many people, uh, church is not the place where they're going to meet Jesus. They're going to meet Jesus out there and then come and find a church. Um, and so for the, your family, it might, they might be that. It might be that this is the wrong church, or it might just be that church isn't for them right now. Um, and so what I would do if I was you is I would begin praying, number one, and studying, number two, on how to share your faith, how, how to present the gospel to them, how to present Jesus to them outside of the walls of a church. Um, I think that every believer has that responsibility, that every one of us has the responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Um, and, and many times family is the hardest people to tell, but they're also going to be the most important because you're going to have the most influence with them. Um, and, and so begin praying for that. I, I'm not saying tomorrow you show up at their door with a track and tell them you're going to hell. Don't do that. Um, what I'm saying is you begin asking God for his wisdom. God, show me when to speak and what to say. Um, and, and at the same time, begin studying scripture. And, and there's a ton of different methods out there for how to present the gospel. If you need one, man, I mean, sh- shoot me another text and say, hey, give me, you know, this is my name. You can actually call me, and uh, I'd love to call you and, and help unpack that for you this week, um, how you can actually begin to do that. Um, but I, I'd pray for wisdom. Uh, if, if you feel like, man, you know what, I really think they do would respond to church. They just didn't, there was something specific about City Church that they just didn't like, the music was too loud or it was too dark or whatever it might be. Um, we can give some suggestions on some other churches that maybe would be more their speed, that if they're open to that, but I know you said, hey, they don't want to go to church anywhere which makes me think it's not really about city church. It's about the conviction that they're under. And so I would, be, I would pray that that conviction continues, that God stays on them, that his spirit keeps pursuing them, um, and, and that he would soften their heart uh, to, to give their life to Jesus. Um, so you know what? Uh, normally we don't do this after that last question. I want to pray for that family member right now. Would you guys just stand up? We're going to lift up holy hands, and we're going to pray, 